0: Hey everybody, this is Sean McVeigh, and welcome to The Vet Med Mind. What is The Vet Med Mind? It's a podcast that we're doing here at Veterinary Growth Partners celebrating success stories in veterinary medicine. I'm joined by Rachel Tashberg. You've certainly heard her speak or lecture at some of our conferences. So together and with other guests, we're going to explore in veterinary medicine, both current past and maybe even future uh, success stories.
1: Hey everyone, it is Rachel with another episode of the Vet Med Mind podcast and I am so excited to have here today with me Gina Gomez Vidal who's a CBT and the practice manager of East Valley Animal Hospital in Mesa, Arizona. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yes, I I'm so enthralled by your story and your background and everything like that and I love sharing people stories like yours because it's so relatable and our industry um, just could, I just love the idea of showcasing all that you've done and where you plan to go and just talk about, you know, what vet med has to offer people from a career perspective and your journey. So I can't wait to share it now. So Gina, you started in the industry at a very young age. You were like, yes, it was was a (laughs) call.
2: (laughs) Yes, tell me about that. I was uh, I was 12 years old when I started in the industry. Um, There was actually a small privately owned veterinary clinic literally down the block from my house. Um, And my mom went and asked if I could volunteer. And the owner there said, I've never had any volunteers before, especially this young. But I'm willing to, to try. So I started that summer and just went in every day for a few hours and volunteered my time with, you know, starting with cleaning. And um, then I kind of helped with restraining here and there. And then I just kind of built on those skills and kept going. Um, I officially got hired into that clinic when I was 16. So when I was legally able to, I continued volunteering every summer. And then I would go after school when I was in high school, my freshman and sophomore year, and then I got hired and I just continued that schedule as to what I was doing.
1: So amazing, you
2: knew. Now,
1: before you got that first job, as a kid, I mean animals were always a calling like were you like caring for Sick animals. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah.
2: all the (laughs) strays in my neighborhood ended up at my house. Um, Yeah, I mean, I remember being five years old, you know, and being like, I want to be, I want to be a vet. Um, I knew all about like St. Francis and how he talked to animals. And that was like, oh, one day I want to I want to be able to talk to animals. But obviously, you know, that's a that's in your own way. (laughs) But I have learned a different way to talk to animals. Um, But yeah, I mean, I can't. uh, We've had so many. We had a pregnant cat who had kittens one time. Um, I have bottle fed kitten babies and puppies and everything has been at my house and my parents, you know, they acted like they were going to say no. And they were sticklers, but they always let me bring them home and take care of them. So, so yeah, whenever we didn't, I don't have a lot of animals that were mine per se, but I had a lot of animals that were kind of neighborhood cats and and dogs that kind of ran around, and I helped, and I fed them random things. They looked skinny. I would give them bread and all those things. So, yes, yeah, I was always very drawn, drawn to them for sure.
1: And so, you've been a CBT for a long time, and you're, you've worked in like the technician role for a long time. So, talk to me about what it was like when you first started, and and what has the evolution been like over the years? Like, what have you seen changing in mm-hmm. that med?
2: Um, yeah. Um, well, number one is I remember when we had to take x rays and actually develop them, and that was not fun for any of us. So that has been amazing to watch just have digital x rays for everything. Um, you know, dental rads were not really a thing when I first started in the industry. And now at my practice here, we do it on everything that we do as far as dental goes. Um, so that's been you know that that technical part of it has really been amazing how we have evolved so much in the industry and and brought new medicine and and better things into um, you know, into everybody's homes and and into all the practices. I think before you'd have to be able to,, um, you know, like be at a certain income in order to afford this. and now it's kind of universal for everybody. So that's really nice. I grew up in a low income, Area And so, you know, definitely pet care was not something we that came to us easily. So it was awesome to work in the field and be able to have pets and actually take care of them how I was supposed to. Once I was actually in the field that, you know, that was a great feeling. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the medicine, the medicine is probably the biggest thing that I've noticed an incredibly positive change with. Um, but also it makes it so much easier on the, on the technicians to get things done. It takes so much less time than it used to, which is so helpful. It's way less frustrating, Um, as far as those things go and us being able to do blood work in house, that wasn't something that we really were able to do either. When I started, you know, we were using those big thick glasses for white blood cell counts and stuff like that. And, (laughs) um, and now the machine just does everything for you. So that's pretty awesome. And the turnaround time for the out, out lab stuff is, is great and amazing. And it's, it is more affordable, I think, for even private practice to own those things too, versus just big corporate, um, places. So that that's great medicine for our patients. Cause you know, nobody wants to go home and wait on results for their pet, especially if they're not doing well, just like none of us want to. Um, So that definitely is something that I have, you know, loved the change in this industry.
1: It is amazing, you know, and time goes by so fast. Like as it is, I feel like every year, I feel like every year as I get older, it becomes more apparent how fast time flies. And in reflection, when you think about, the advancements in our field. And, you know, even in, in, you know, so far just in in your lifetime of the career, how much has changed and how much is growing and constantly evolving. It's, it is really cool. And it's an incredible career to be in. Um, Absolutely. But along with all of those changes and advancements and things like that, obviously, you know, being a career technician and into a practice manager role, obviously, we talk about burnout. We talk about compassion fatigue. So what has your experience been with that? You know, as with such a long career starting so young, you've you've been in it a long time. So yeah.
2: what's that journey been like for you? Yeah, I I mean, I was uh, you know, like so excited when I first got into the industry, right? You're just so happy to be to be helping and and doing all the things. And um, and I had that, I definitely held on to that for a really, really long time. And then eventually I worked at a practice um, somewhere where I, I became a practice manager there. So I, I was the technician and then I went up to practice manager and my, my morals just were not aligning with, with what was happening around me. And I kind of lost myself, I feel like during that time. And, um, you know, I was just doing things that weren't, weren't who I was. And, uh, it took, it, you know, it took me kind of going through the motions and, and not wanting, wanting to be loyal to myself versus loyal to who I was working for, um, to really step back and say, I need, I need a timeout. You know, like I am not who I used to be. I am not happy to come to work. This is not who I am. Like, this is my passion. And I used to love it. Um, I loved the people I worked with. It was just what was happening around me. It was like, you're standing there and things are moving all around, you know, like in the movies, Mm. everything's moving all around you and you're kind of just like, just frozen in time. And that's kind of what it felt like. And so, um, I decided to take a step back in management and I went back to being a technician and I worked for a surgical center, um, here in Gilbert and they were amazing and they aligned perfectly with my beliefs and what I wanted. And I kind of got back into, Hey, I love what I do and I'm really happy. Um, so then I was like, okay, I'm ready to get back into management and work with the people and, and deal with those things, you know, on a day-to-day basis. Um, and so I, I had two jobs at the time. One was with a surgical center and one was at a GP and I switched my part-time and my full-time. So I went full-time at my part-time job and part-time at my full-time job. And so um, so that was back in, uh, 2013 and I've been, I still do relief at the surgical center and as a technician, which is nice. That's probably one of my favorite days of the week. Um, cause I don't have to nobody, you know, like yeah. I just get to be a technician and enjoy my job and I, and you know, nobody, if there's an upset client or a coworker's upset, I can just kind of talk to them as an, as a coworker and not have to worry about, um, making sure that their needs and wants are fulfilled. It's just, hey, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about it. Let's work it out. Maybe I can, I can help you feel better about it. Um, so, so that has been really nice. And I have really loved my management job again. And I have, you know, I've got my passion back and I just feel, you know, this industry is it for me. Like I, I, I can't imagine doing anything else in the world. And I love that because
1: I know that Look, I've been in the same place that you were. same thing, you know, I, I work somewhere where it, it was misaligned with who I was. i I lost myself too. I, I totally understand what you mean where um it kind of just you go on autopilot, you know, you're not yeah. yourself. You're not the best version of yourself. You get caught up in all of it. There's no boundaries. there's no balance. there's nothing and and it can be a really dark and heavy place to be in. And what we see now, of course, is that, and it's not new, but I think now, especially over the last couple of years, is a lot of people end up making that choice to leave the industry. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like for you, you knew that wasn't the case. Like you you had this passion, this deep passion. You knew that
2: it was more about the environment that was broken than the career choice that was broken. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. definitely. A hundred percent. I knew that this is what I wanted to do forever and that it definitely wasn't that wasn't my, an option for me to leave. Um, it just never, like never even came to my mind. I just knew I needed a timeout from what I was currently doing, um, to just really reevaluate what was happening and, and make the best choice for myself. So that's what I did.
1: Yeah. And what I love most is, you know, we, of course, when we go through things like this in our life and, you know, we feel a little like beat up and, you know, down, down and out, it's sometimes really easy to forget the things that actually bring us joy. And what I love is that you're like, I really like being a technician and I'm not willing to give that up because I, you clearly love the work. It's super fun. And I I actually, one of the things I do miss the most about being in practice is the medicine. You know, there, there does come a time when you move from that technician role into the practice manager, you know, it's a tough spot for, for techs to be in when you're a technician, when you're a manager with a technician background, right? Because chances are you got a really strong skill set. <laughs> You've been doing it for a long time, and it's really easy to get caught up in a balancing act of supporting the team medically and through a skill set, while also still trying to be a practice manager. And so, I I understand that struggle, and I just I love that you found a balance and also sort of a a self care technique where you get to still tap into the thing that you love
2: without all the Strings, right? Yes. Of being yeah. a manager. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly it. And I tell, you know, I tell my team when I do work with them on Mondays, I'm like, this is like the best day, guys. Like, this is awesome. So <laughs> I try and also like spread that positivity to them to let yeah. them know, like, hey, I like I love working with you guys and I love being here. And I I love this opportunity to let have my skills and use them all day long and you know, help with anesthesia. I love anesthesia. Um, so yeah it's uh it, it was definitely a wild ride in the beginning you're absolutely right like definitely the feeling of defeat was there and um you know it is this is this am I making the right choice should I leave um because I'm I'm just a typically a very loyal person I this is my you know fourth job two of my two of my four jobs I still have my second job I only had because I moved out of, out of town um so I definitely find a place and kind of make it my home and My goal is to to stay there long term, so yeah, that's definitely important to me.
1: I wanted to ask also, just because you did that transition from technician into manager, what was that like? You know, how did you did you prepare yourself at all for that? Like, you know, did you have any guidance or mentorship? Yeah,
2: so it kind of just happened. So I started out as the lead surgery tech, um, and then I was doing a lot of other things on top of my responsibilities as the lead surgery tech and the manager at the time was kind of stepping down. So I think it was just seemed like the next step for my career was to kind of lead. Um, I did do some management courses, but I found that the owner did not follow the process that we were supposed to. So it made it difficult for me to be able to do the things that I was supposed to in the way that I was being taught. So, um, so I, I don't think I had, you know, I didn't really have anybody to guide me and lead me, which, which basically was like, I got thrown in, in the ocean and, you know, sink or swim sort of thing. So, um, that was probably part of the issue with me feeling like I was losing myself if I, is I wasn't really getting the guidance that I needed, and that would have been good in order to help me maintain who I was while still, um, you know, like having a balance with work and um and personal life and also boundaries with the staff and those sorts of things. I was also, pretty young, I was in my early 20s, you know, running a for doctor practice, um, which, which could definitely be difficult. Um, But I think the the staff definitely respected me, you know, it was nice because we could hang out, uh, you know, after work, and then we were all working together. And we try and really, we did try because all of us were In our our early twenties, a lot of us were so. We we tried to make those boundaries with each other versus being taught to do it. Um, So I think we we as a staff were pretty good at it. It was mostly the owner that we were having more difficult time with the boundary part and and that sort of thing. So um, so yeah, I do wish um, looking back that I did have more uh, mentorship in order to help me do the things better, do things better. Um, but I think I also learned a lot. Like I learned a ton very quickly, uh, because I had to swim. So I did learn a lot. And then I was able to bring those, you know, lessons to where I am now and not make the same mistakes I did when I was that age and, and managing that way. So that definitely, definitely was nice. Um, and I, you know, I think for, Most people would probably be better to have a mentor, but you can learn that way too. I don't know. I don't think it's the best way for everybody, but I I definitely did learn. Yeah,
1: no, I mean, I look, there's obviously merit to figuring it out, right? I mean, it's yeah. not it's not like the path of least resistance. But, you know, there's the trial by fire, you know, I yeah. went through the same thing. And I'm sure most of our listeners did it the exact same way. Um, but really just called, you know, for people who are in leadership positions, and people who are owners who are listening, you know, we we can't just expect that because somebody who's done a role for a long time can suddenly just be a leader and be a manager and know how to balance the PNL and know how to do this mm-hmm. and that. And, you know, a lot of times it's, you know, in our industry, just in general, you know, it's like we always needed things yesterday. So yep. there's this, this sense of urgency around everything, which creates all the stress and all this burnout. And, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a big job to manage a practice, you know, um, And I, you know, especially like as an employee who was also given an early opportunity into management, of course, appreciated it, but, you know, having, having the right tools in place, you know, could be a big deal. And so, yeah, you know, we, we learned the hard way. (laughs) Yep. Absolutely. Um, But, you know, I, and I kind of wanted to circle back now because, you know, you took that time off, you realized things weren't right. Things were out of balance. We needed some boundaries. So when you decided, you know, after you kind of, cleared yourself out, got yourself to a better place. When you were ready to move back into a management role, how did you approach it differently this time?
2: Um, not one of the things is not take things personal, right? Like it's not about you. It's about what's happening. So, um, I think at my early age, if somebody wanted to leave, I took it really personal. Um, but, I don't know that ever it was about me, you know, looking back at the times people left, it actually, nobody ever said it was about me Had nothing to do with me. So just learning to be more supportive of the staff that you're working with and realize that they have, they also have to do what's best for them. Just like I did what was best for me. Other people have to do the same thing. Um, So that's probably the biggest lesson I had. Um, Naturally, I'm a pretty... Laid-back person, you know, I I don't really take work home with me for the most part. So that stuff that a lot of people have because I enjoy it so much, because I love this career so much that I feel like I'm able to just let that stuff go. Um, but it was more like the one-on-one relationship with people that made it sometimes difficult. Like, hey, we're friends. What do you mean you don't want to work here anymore? That sort of thing. You know, like that's not the reality of being a grown-up. So I definitely learned that a lot. Um, and something that I want to say, as far as the industry goes, I think that even though we are very much a, Hey, let's just move our way we we're we are learning that we need to teach them how to do the job that we're putting them into. And we also are learning that even though they're good at this job, doesn't mean they're going to be good at another job. So management is not for everybody. And we all have different personalities and some personalities just do not fit into management. And that is okay. And I think that that's something that this industry is learning. It, you don't, you shouldn't force people into a position that they are probably going to fail at which is not a good feeling for anybody. So um, you know, even working with with you and VGP, like that's been a huge you know change for going to a conference and being able to take staff and them learning the things. like that's something that wasn't really around when I first started. So um, I definitely think that is going to be a big game changer for those who take advantage of it. And I think it's important that we as an industry do take advantage of the resources that are out there and the tools that are out there to help us do our jobs better um because sometimes I think we're like, oh we're doing a great job you know like I'm good at this job and I don't need anybody to teach me anything but in reality we can we're learning every day we learn every day forever um so I think that that is something that's very important to um to admit to yourself is that you're not you know you you can always do better we can always do better in everything that we're doing and so using what's out there is what's best for everybody.
1: Absolutely. And that's really why, you know, we have the coaching team. That's why we do all of our leadership training. You know, what's important for all of us here at BGP is we're, we've all been where you are, you know, we, we struggled with the same things. We wished we had that ace up our sleeves. We wish we had someone with the answers, you know, so it's uh it's, it really has, I, I can speak for myself and I know I can speak for the team, you know, very full circle experience to kind of give back to the, the community of vet med to yes. support them in ways that we all wish we had when we were in practice. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's incredibly rewarding. And, you know, we do, uh, I know you've been to our emotional intelligence workshops. You just went to our mediation training, you know, and what's interesting about those is I've been at BGP now for going into my seventh year and we do these multiple times a year and I still learn something new every time. Yeah,
2: I exactly. So
1: you know, it's, it's one of those things like you, because what's most important about this kind of work, emotional intelligence and conflict, and, you know, especially like the, the, the social emotional side of what we do, it's that, you know, we're constantly evolving as human beings and people, right. And so you are living your life, you have these new experiences. And so to do the work on yourself and to learn more about who you are, what your values are, right. Like the, the whole thing you went through personally, Figuring all that out to become a better leader for your team or a practice owner, whatever that may be, is so important because again, you know, you're not the person you were yesterday. When you come back a year from now, the content's going to resonate differently and it'll speak to you in new ways. And so, um, so yeah, the the continuing education, the opportunities, um, and also just getting out from behind your four walls, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like I, I remember being in practice and feeling so lonely. Like, am I the only one dealing with this stuff, you know? And I think that when you go to a conference and you talk to other members, there's this like feeling of like belonging and togetherness and that, oh, these aren't unique to me. Like this is like, I can talk to other people about this and we can relate and bond and connect. And so uh, there's just, yeah, so much good that comes from all of that. Um, And how do you feel like after coming to these workshops, doing a lot of this like social emotional work, how do you feel like that's impacted the culture of your practice?
2: I think that new things are always scary for everybody. So uh, definitely, you know, when I was like, "We're going to start talking about emotional intelligence," these are the things we kind of learned. Um, we're going to watch some videos so that we can learn how to communicate better. It was definitely like, "Oh no!" Like you know, that just it's something different. Um, but but I do think that during the videos that we watch and the seeds that we're doing so far, there's definitely self-reflection happening. And there's a lot of like shaking their head, yes. And um, in agreement with how people are feeling, and they are, uh, I have, you know, definitely a few that just struggle a bit with communication and they, they are definitely trying and using the words and they will like take their little, uh, we have the feelings chart up and they'll grab that and kind of talk about how they're feeling. We've got different scenarios. Like when this happens, how does that make you feel? Um, so it is, it is a, Tough thing to learn and to practice, and you know, repetition is important so that you get better and better at it. And it's a uh, like a scary feeling to talk about what what's going on inside your head a little bit too. I think, but I think as we continue to do it, we'll we'll see more positivity around the practice, and you know, because push them to shove, medicine is hard. You know, it's it's yeah. frustrating. It's sad. Um, sometimes it's infuriating depending on what's happening to the patient. So there are definitely a lot of emotions that we go through every day that's up and down and up and down. And, um, and with COVID that, you know, exasperated everything and made it even worse than it already was. So I think that it's very important that they learn to communicate how they are feeling instead of biting their tongues and not talking about it you know let's let's talk about the elephant in the room um i did i we're, we are trying to do like little huddles um or if it's getting a little frantic taking a like everybody gets a time out Hey, let's mm-hmm. let's just take a minute and everybody take a deep breath, you know, count backwards from 10. It's okay. Everybody's everybody's going to get their treatments and all that sort of stuff. So, um, I definitely am trying to be more aware of what's how, ha- you know, because I do have an office so I'm not always out on the floor so I can't always see what's going on. Um, but I have leads that are more aware of that stuff. So, I've told them to, "Hey, let's make sure if your team seems a little frantic, let's take a pause and and uh, talk about what's going on and what we're feeling. and then and then that way we can move on from that. So I I definitely want the culture to be more positive. I think that's where we're heading. So I am happy about that.
1: Yeah. I love that. You know, it's just so important to read the room and it's, it's hard when things are moving a million miles an hour, you know, and especially when people in charge are also doing the role. Right. So it's like, you know, to have that presence, that ability to step back, to take it in, um, you know, because like you said, yeah, people will, will naturally want to hold it in. Uh-huh. But what ends up happening is it comes out usually behaviorally, right? So there is no such thing as biting your tongue. If yep. you're biting your tongue, <laughs> so it's coming out somewhere else. So it's, it's probably going to be worse. Um, so, you know, it, it is, it's important. We can't just, you know, look at someone and be like, oh my God, Gina's just going to blow it in a second. Like I can see and then not do anything about it, you know? Yeah. Um, because we know what's going to happen, you know? And and so it's a matter of just, again, like you said, like leaning into the discomfort and being like, Gina, are you okay? Do you need to take a minute? Um, yeah. You know, and that support and that vulnerability and that transparency is so important, you know? And, you know, I don't, I don't want people to think that, you know, when we talk about emotions that it's like, we're going to be crying all day and talking about our feelings all day. It's a matter of just, accepting where I am right now and deciding if Mm -hmm. this feeling is serving me well or serving my team well. And that's it. And then just like choosing something else or, you know, and again, if that choice is take a deep breath, if that choice is go outside, if that choice is no, I think I can just move forward with this. I can change. I can just like compartmentalize that for a second, you know, it's different for everyone in every situation, but, you know, developing those skills for your team, is just going to have such a long lasting impact in building the culture that you want. So I love that. Um, I'm so glad that you're on board and, you know, <laughs> in your team, because it's, it's you know, it's it's one of those things that's not just, it doesn't just stop at your practice, right? Because these are ultimately life skills. Yeah, yeah it's just about practice. practice, you know? So it's, it's really empowering because, you know, all the people you're teaching this stuff to go home and have partners and family and kids and, you know, this sort of stuff and having these conversations can make a much bigger impact than just your practice, which is. Yeah.
2: And that's, that's really what I want. You know, I want them to be able to use it in everyday life and um, use the correct words, you know, and, you know, part of the conference was, it's all about how you feel. You can say, I feel, don't talk about what you're reading off of that person. Talk about what's going on through you. So, um, definitely that's, that's been important and something we've been working on and having coaching moments where if something happens, we can take the person aside and we can just talk through it and say, Hey, you know, nobody's in trouble. Like the office is not a scary place. <laughs> so I've also been working on, Hey, let's meet once a month with everybody with the leads, you know, let's just chat and see. And it's not, it's not necessarily going to be good or bad. It's just, Hey, let's, how's everything going sort of thing, checking in, um, just so that there's not that, you know, everybody's not terrified to Come into come into the office and just have a discussion. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's true. It's like the principal's
1: office. I know. I I also worked really hard to desensitize the team to the yes. office candy, comfortable seats. If someone pulls me in the hallway, I'm like, Oh, come in, let's sit down. Like, you know, like, no, like this is a safe space. It's a safe space. No one's in trouble. Just because there's a door doesn't mean it's yes. like, you know, a prison. It's a okay. dungeon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so same thing. Um, you know, I had a lot of team members, you know, I'd schedule meetings just so that way they would know I wanted to chat with them at a specific time. Yeah. You know? Um, and it was like. <gasps> you know, so yeah, there has to be like, you know, again, when, when I walked into a practice and that was the reaction, when I scheduled something, I was like, oh, we have trust issues. Okay. (laughs) You know, um, because like, what do you think? I'm just going to fire you tomorrow. And if if that is happening, then I'm concerned about what it is you're doing that you think you're going to be fired <laughs> because I don't know of anything. So, um, so yeah, it, it is, it's a really interesting dynamic that exists very pervasively in our industry mm-hmm. that oh, yeah. whole getting in trouble and being called into the office. And so I really appreciate that you're doing what you can to undo all of this sort of generational trauma from our industry yes. <laughs> of being in <laughs> trouble. Um, but I want to, now I want to kind of talk to you about your future because you're starting this new adventure. So talk to you about your plans for 2023.
2: Yeah. So, um, so I had always wanted to go to vet school and I didn't because I didn't want to be in major debt. And, you know, with, with the, uh, with the jobs that I have had, I've definitely worked with enough vets who have tried to to always say like don't do it if i would have known i wouldn't have done it and um you know like just things that you're like okay maybe, maybe that's not what i want to do um i know i want to be in the industry but maybe i'm just going to not do that so i never i never pulled the trigger on that and i decided to look into management instead but i've realized in the last probably year and a half, I think is I think year and a half is when I started school. Um, that my real passion was in helping other people and doing some low cost stuff. You know, I, I had mentioned earlier I grew up in a lower income household and we couldn't really afford vet care for our pets and until I got into the industry, there was a lot of things I didn't know um, that we were doing wrong um, and we could have done better. And so I think that that's really where my my true passion lies is helping the people who don't know or can't afford to provide for their pets. Um, I don't want people to not have pets because they can't afford to not have them. Like, I don't think that should be a reason not to have them. Um, and maybe they can't do everything for their pet, but you know, if they can do a little bit, they can treat the pet symptomatically for stuff and, and find somebody willing to work with them. Um, then that's really what's, what my passion is. So In, uh, when I worked at a clinic in Flagstaff, we did some low cost stuff on a mobile, and that was probably the most fun I have ever had in my journey throughout this career. So that's definitely something that, um, I realized I couldn't do as a technician, right? You can't, you can't do surgeries. You can't, you know, diagnose, can't do those things as a technician. So, um, I was going to need to go to vet school. And I always said, if there was one in Arizona and now there's two in Arizona, <laughs> the universe <laughs> is like, you have to go, you have choices now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that's, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what I decided like, Hey, there's two I'm born and raised in Tucson. And that's where the vet school is that I'm going to apply to you. The university of Arizona opened, um, a vet school. And so my family is there. So you know, as far as cost of living, hopefully I can work some stuff out so I'm not having to take a loan out for that part of it um, so I can save some money when it comes to that, which is a huge part of, you know, something veterinarians don't always think of when they're, when they're applying to school is they're going to need money for housing because they are not going to be working. Mm-hmm. Um, so that definitely, I think, will help a lot. It's a three-year program versus a four-year program. So it's all right. year round. So I would be able to get my classes done sooner, which um, for me is important, you know, especially being older now and having a family, it's important that I don't waste another minute do, you know, with, with school if I don't have to. So, and then I get into the career that, um, that is going to make the difference that I want to make. And that's, you know, I can do relief in other places and, Um, make some decent money so that then I can focus on, hopefully it'll be a nonprofit that I'll, that I'll do and I can, um, kind of help other people with their pets. So that's really what I'm, what I'm working on right now. I love that, Gina. It's so great.
1: And again, just like what a beautiful full circle thing, you know, like you're, you're kind of going back to your roots and wanting to support, you know, where you were growing up in your relationship with pets. And I love that. I think it's great. I have no doubt in my mind, you're going to be an incredible doctor. So I'm (laughs) very, very excited for you. Yeah, it's, (laughs) um, I'm yeah, it gives me goosebumps because it's, it is cool. You know, it's, it's a, it's a dream fulfilled, which is a beautiful thing that everyone gets to to check that box off the dreams list you know so yeah very cool very excited for you um so i i mean i'm so appreciative of your story and again i i know so many people can relate to you and i know you're going to inspire so many people and going to that school now and kind of just completing this full journey is amazing um but before we close out i do want to ask you have a few rapid fire questions okay oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> they're fun they're fun Um, okay. So just a few things. So first of all, what was the name of your first pet?
2: Uh, my first pet's name was Pepper. She was a Cocker Spaniel. Oh, cute. Have you stuck with Cocker Spaniels over the years? No, actually, funny, my aunt used to breed them. And oh. so that's how I ended up with a congressmanial. <laughs> um, but a lot I didn't know about them, right? They get bad ear infections. Uh-huh. They have bad oh, skin. yeah. So there was a lot I learned uh, once yes. I worked in, in the industry. And um, I, God, I love that dog so much. And um, uh, yeah, but that, I, I don't know that I'd ever own another cocker spaniel, um, because, <laughs> but of, it was, because of that, but good lesson. yes, cocker spaniels <laughs> yeah, are, <laughs> are
1: definitely your, a good trip down into the medical side. Yes, of- <laughs> yes she definitely <laughs> yes. was. She definitely was. That's, That's hilarious. Funny. Um, what is your number
2: one guilty pleasure? Ooh, guilty pleasure. That's a great question. Um, honestly, I really love a nice cheeseburger and French fries. That is my guilty pleasure. Yeah. I, when I have like a bad day or something, I'm like, you know what I want? I want a cheeseburger and French fries. Most of the time I eat pretty healthy and, you know, turkey and green beans all day, every day. (laughs) But yeah, that is my guilty pleasure for sure. Delicious.
1: (laughs) What is one thing on your bucket list?
2: Oh, besides being a vet. Uh, oh, I want to go to Africa. I want to do, um, they have a, um, a place there that you can stay and help with the animals and, um, do like a safari and all this stuff. And I want to do that ooh, one, one time. That yeah, sounds like a, like two weeks to a month there and, and just hang out.
1: Oh, that sounds like a dream. Yes.
2: <laughs> so speaking of traveling, what is your go-to airport snack? Ooh, airport snack. You know, I actually do not fly a lot. I drive mm-hmm. everywhere. Me and my family drive everywhere. Um, so that is a. I'm trying to think of what I ate. The road trip time. snack. <laughs> road road trips. I really like Gardettos. What are those? Road trips. They're like the. They have like the pretzels and then like the little brown biscuits. And, oh yes. Oh, yeah, oh those brown gardettos. biscuits. That's, that's where.
1: That's where. I love that. those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great. That is a great travel snack. <laughs> um, what is your favorite season? I know you're in Arizona, but
2: yes. Um, that's hmm, probably if you want to call it a spring, our spring is probably my favorite. Cause it's like the perfect weather. Um, it starts to get a little bit warmer at the end. So you can even like go swimming during our springtime, hmm. which is really nice. Um, but yeah, that's probably my, my favorite season. If you'd for Arizona. Yeah.
1: It's like a two week <laughs> period, right? <laughs> I get that. I get that. Um what is your go-to
2: karaoke song? Oh my god, karaoke, I haven't done karaoke in years. <laughs> uh that hmm Man, I can't even... You're singing the shower song. I can't even think of a. I can't <laughs> even think of a song right now for karaoke. I did, as, as a kid, I did used to do karaoke a lot because I was in choir. So yeah. um, we have a place called Native New Yorker where they had, uh, here in Phoenix, actually, where they had karaoke. And we didn't have it in Tucson. So whenever I would come, my mom would would be like, let's do karaoke. Oh, but I don't know if I have one specifically that I would go to. Uh, my mom is a singer too. And so are my sisters. So sometimes we would just all pick like, You know, random, whatever was popular at the time on the radio, sort of thing. That's what we would do.
1: A little ensemble number with the family. Great. And (laughs) lastly, if you could go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice, what would it be?
2: Don't forget who you are. That's what it would be. Yep.
1: I love it. Powerful and true. That's the best. amazing. (laughs) Gina, seriously, I, I love having you here. Thank you again for sharing your story and for
2: being on the podcast. And I look
1: forward to seeing you at another event.
2: Yeah, yeah. Thank you
0: so much for having me. This was a blast.
2: I really enjoyed
0: my time with you. Thank you, everybody. And uh, by the way, if you know somebody that in your life is a success story in veterinary medicine, and I really mean this, it could be a kennel worker. It could be the person who cleans your hospital. Uh, It it can be the best client that comes through the door who's an animal advocate, uh, a success story in your neighborhood. Uh, Those are the kind of stories that we're looking for. And so I don't think we're going to have any shortage uh, of uh, candidates, but Always interested to hear what you think of when we say, who's a success in your life? What's going on in their vet med mind?